Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Today's story is from one of our favorite classic authors, O. Henry, and deals with a pair of small-time swindlers who reunite in New York City and decide to make their fortune in art. New York City in the very early 1900s was a favorite target for O. Henry, and his stories provide a window to the Victorian days in New York when ladies carried parasols and there was an Irish cop on every corner. And now, Babes in the Jungle by O. Henry. Montague Silver, the finest street man and art grafter in the West, says to me once in Little Rock, If you ever lose your mind, Billy, and get too old to do honest swindling among grown men, go to New York. In the West, a sucker is born every minute, but in New York, they appear in chunks of row. You can't count them. Two years afterward, I found that I couldn't remember the names of the Russian admirals, and I noticed some gray hairs over my left ear, so I knew the time had arrived for me to take Silver's advice. I struck New York about noon one day and took a walk up Broadway, and I run against Silver himself, all encompassed up in a spacious kind of haberdashery, leaning against the hotel and rubbing the half-moons on his nails with a silk handkerchief. Paresis or superannuated? I asks him. Hello, Billy, says Silver. I'm glad to see you. Yes, it seemed to me that the West was accumulating a little too much wiseness. I've been saving New York for dessert. I know it's a low-down trick to take things from these people. They only know this and that and pass to and fro and think ever and anon. I'd hate for my mother to know I was skinning these weak-minded ones. She raised me better. Is there a crush already in the waiting rooms of the old doctor that does skin grafting? I asks. Well, no, says Silver. You needn't back epidermis to win today. I've only been here a month, but I'm ready to begin, and the members of Willie Manhattan's Sunday school class, each of whom has volunteered to contribute a portion of cuticle toward this rehabilitation, may as well send their photos to the evening daily. I've been studying the town, says Silver, and reading the papers every day, and I know it as well as the cat in the city hall knows an O'Sullivan. People here lie down on the floor and scream and kick when you're the least bit slow about taking money from them. Come up in my room and I'll tell you. We'll work the town together, Billy, for old time's sake. So Silver takes me up in a hotel. He has a quantity of irrelevant objects lying about. There's more ways of getting money from these metropolitan hayseeds, says Silver, than there is a cooking ice in Charleston, South Carolina. They'll bite at anything. The brains of most of them commute. The wiser they are in intelligence, the less perception of cognizance they have. Why didn't a man the other day sell J.P. Morgan an oil portrait of Rockefeller Jr. for Andrea del Sarto's celebrated painting of the young St. John? You see that bundle of printed stuff in the corner, Billy? That's gold mining stock. I started out one day to sell that, but I quit it in two hours. Why? Got arrested for blocking this street. People fought to buy it. I sold the policeman a block of it on the way to the station house. Then I took it off the market. I don't want people to give me their money. I want some little consideration connected with the transaction to keep my pride from being hurt. I want them to guess the missing A in Chicago or draw to a pair of nines before they pay me a cent of money. Now there's another little scheme that works so easy I had to quit it. You see that bottle of blue ink on the table? I tattooed an anchor on the back of my hand, and I went to a bank and told him I was Admiral Dewey's nephew. They offered to cash my draft on him for a thousand, but I didn't know my uncle's first name. It shows, though, what an easy town it is. 
As for burglars, they won't go in a house now unless there's a hot supper ready and a few college students to wait on them. They're slugging citizens all over the upper part of the city, and I guess taking the town from end to end. It's a plain case of assault and battery. Monty, says I, when Silver had slacked up, you may have Manhattan correctly discriminated in your prerogative, but I doubt it. I've only been in town two hours, but it don't dawn upon me that it's ours with a cherry in it. There ain't enough rust in herb about it to suit me. I'd be a good deal much better satisfied if the citizens had a straw or more in their hair and run more to velveteen vests and buckeye watch charms. They don't look easy to me. You got it, Billy, says Silver. All emigrants have it. New York's bigger than Little Rock or Europe, and it frightens a foreigner. You'll be all right. I tell you, I feel like slapping people here because they don't send me all their money in laundry baskets with germicide sprinkled over it. I hate to go down on the street to get it. Who wears the diamonds in this town? Why, Winnie, the wiretapper's wife, and Bella, the bunco steerer's bride. New Yorkers can be worked easier than a blue rose on a tidy. The only thing that bothers me is I know I'll break the cigars in my vest pocket when I get my clothes all full of twenties. I hope you're right, Monty, says I. But I wish all the same I'd been satisfied with a small business in Little Rock. The crop of farmers is never so short out there, but what you can get a few of them to sign a petition for a new post office that you can discount for 200 at the county bank. The people here appear to possess instincts of self-preservation and illiberality. I fear me that we're not cultured enough to tackle this game. Don't worry, says Silver. I've got this Jayville near Terrytown correctly estimated as sure as North River is the Hudson and East River ain't a river. Why, there are people living in four blocks of Broadway who never saw any kind of a building except a skyscraper in their lives. A good, live, hustling Western man ought to get conspicuous enough here inside of three months to incur either Jerome's clemency or Lawson's displeasure. Hyperbole aside, says I, do you know of any immediate system of buncoing the community out of a dollar or two except by applying to the Salvation Army or having a fit on Miss Helen Gould's doorsteps? Dozens of them, says Silver. How much capital you got, Billy? A thousand, I told him. I got twelve hundred, says he. We'll pool and do a big piece of business. There's so many ways we can make a million, I don't know where to begin. The next morning, Silver meets me at the hotel, and he's all sonorous and stirred with a kind of silent joy. We're to meet J.P. Morgan this afternoon, says he. A man I know in the hotel wants to introduce us. He's a friend of his. He says he likes to meet people from the West. Well, that sounds nice and plausible, says I. I'd like to know Mr. Morgan. It won't hurt us a bit, says Silver, to get acquainted with a few finance kings. I kind of like the social way New York has with strangers. The man Silver knew was named Klein. At three o'clock, Klein brought his Wall Street friend to see us in Silver's room. Mr. Morgan looked some like his pictures, and he had a Turkish towel wrapped around his left foot, and he walked with a cane. Mr. Silver and Mr. Peskett, says Klein. It sounds superfluous, says he, to mention the name of the greatest financial... Cut it out, Klein, says Mr. Morgan. I'm glad to know you gents. I take great interest in the West. Klein tells me you're from Little Rock. I think I have a railroad or two out there somewhere. If either of you guys would like to deal a hand or two of stud poker, I... Now, Pierpont, cuts in Klein, you forget. Excuse me, gents, 
says Morgan. Since I've had the gout so bad, I sometimes play a social game of cards at my house. Neither of you ever knew One-Eyed Peters, did you? While you was around Little Rock? He lived in Seattle, New Mexico. Before we could answer, Mr. Morgan hammers on the floor with his cane and begins to walk up and down, swearing in a loud tone of voice. They've been pounding your stocks today on the street, Pierpont? asks Klein, smiling. Stocks, no! roars Mr. Morgan. It's that picture I sent an agent to Europe to buy. I just thought about it. He cabled me today that it ain't to be found in all of Italy. I'd pay fifty thousand dollars tomorrow for that picture. Yes, seventy-five thousand. I'd give the agent a la carte in purchasing it. I cannot understand why the art galleries will allow a da Vinci to— Why, Mr. Morgan, says Klein, I thought you owned all the da Vinci paintings. What's the picture like, Mr. Morgan? asks Silver. It must be as big as the side of the Flatiron Building. I'm afraid your art education is on the bum, Mr. Silver, says Morgan. The picture is 27 inches by 42, and it's called Love's Idle Hour. It represents a number of cloak models doing the two-step on the bank of a purple river. The cablegram said it might have been brought to this country. My collection will never be complete without that picture. Well, so long, gents. Us financiers must keep early hours. Mr. Morgan and Klein went away together in a cab. Me and Silver talked about how simple and unsuspecting great people was, and Silver said what a shame it would be to try to rob a man like Mr. Morgan, and I said I thought it would be rather imprudent myself. So Klein proposes a stroll after dinner, and me and him and Silver walks down toward 7th Avenue to see the sights. Klein sees a pair of cufflinks that instigate his admiration in a pawn shop window, and we all go in while he buys them. After we got back to the hotel and Klein had gone, Silver jumps at me and waves his hands. "'Did you see it?' says he. "'Did you see it, Billy?' "'What?' I asks. "'Why, that picture that Mr. Morgan wants. It's hanging in that pawn shop, behind the desk. I didn't say anything because Klein was there. And the article, sure as you live, the girls are as natural as paint can make them, all measuring 36 and 25 and 42 skirts, if they had any skirts, and they're doing a buck and wing on the bank of a river with the blues. What did Mr. Morgan say he'd get for it? Oh, don't make me tell you. They can't know what it is in that pawn shop. When the pawn shop opened the next morning, me and Silver was standing there as anxious as if we wanted to soak our Sunday suit to buy a drink. We sauntered inside and began to look at watch chains. "'That's a violent specimen of a chromo you've got up there,' remarked Silver, casual, to the pawnbroker. "'But I'd kind of enthuse over the girl with the shoulder blades and the red bunting. "'Would an offer of $2.25 for it cause you to knock over any fragile articles of your stock "'and hurrying it off the nail?' "'The pawnbroker smiles and goes on showing us plate watch chains. "'That picture,' says he, "'was pledged a year ago by an Italian gentleman. "'I loaned him 500 on it. It's called Love's Idle Hour, and it's by Leonardo da Vinci. Two days ago, the legal time expired, and it became an unredeemed pledge. Now, here's a style of chain that's worn a great deal. At the end of half an hour, me and Silver paid the pawnbroker $2,000 and walked out with the picture. Silver got into a cab with it and started for Morgan's office. I goes to the hotel and waits for him. In two hours, Silver comes back. Did you see Mr. Morgan? I asks. How much did he pay you for it? Silver sits down and fools himself with a tassel on the table cover. I never exactly saw Mr. Morgan, he says, 
"'because Mr. Morgan's been in Europe for a month. "'But what's worrying me, Billy, is this. "'The department stores have got all that same picture on sale, "'framed for $3.48, "'and they charge three fifty for the frame alone. "'That's what I can't understand.' Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. And don't forget to check out our other 1001 podcast shows, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories and Mysteries, and 1001 Stories for the Road. We launch every week's new show Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can catch them anywhere podcasts are enjoyed on the Internet. Just search Google for 1001 Podcast, and you'll come up with lots of choices. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.